What's up, Gravel family? I'm Sophia. And I'm Jason. And this is the Gravel Family Podcast. The Gravel Family Podcast is an encouraging space to motivate more people to get on their bikes and enjoy gravel. We're going to share a variety of stories from hometown pirates to the top tier pros. We're also going to share training tips and insights on gravel worlds and other events, as well as answer your questions that arise through your training season. We are so excited you're here. Welcome to the Gravel Family. All right. What's up, Gravel Family? I'm Jason. I'm Sophia. And we are once again coming from uh, Bentonville, Arkansas at the Strider Bike Store. Uh, so another awesome episode uh, on this series down at Big Sugar. So super awesome. Our guest today, super excited to have her on. Uh, she self-proclaimed is a professional fifth place rider. <laughs> uh, she got fifth at Gravel Worlds this year, fifth at BWR Cedar City, BWR Kansas, uh, 21 and 22. Uh, but she did get first place at Gravel Miami and the Foco Fondo in Fort Collins, Colorado. And right now she's currently in 17th place for the Lifetime Grand Prix, which is ending tomorrow. Welcome to the podcast, Hannah Shell. Thank you for having me. So... Welcome to Bentonville. When did you guys get down here? We got here on Wednesday night. Yeah, so we drove from uh, Lawrence. Nice. Drove down. Oh, yeah, you went straight from BWR straight down here? Yep, exactly. Nice. So you've been camping in the good old, you're living the camper life, right? We are. Nice. Yeah. How's, uh, you, I saw you had to turn the heater on because it actually got really cold down here. Oh, <laughs> man. It's actually, it's been wild because it was in the 20s in Lawrence when we left. Um, I went riding on the day that it was really cold and got like a little bit of like frostbite on my feet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then we got, we come down here and it's in the seventies. Yeah. That's awesome. That's I mean, awesome. it's wild. Yeah. We're going from heat to air conditioning back and forth. The cats are really confused. <laughs> you travel with your cats? We do. How do you do that? Well, our main, um, logic behind getting an RV was that we could bring our cats to races with us <laughs> so that when we have back-to-back -back races, we don't have to go home in between. You are um, instantly my wife's number one <laughs> cyclist just for that comment. Okay. But how many cats are there? Two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they, do they, they like have room to space out and like, yeah. Yeah. We That's have, nice. um, so we bought a, a pretty large fifth wheel so that we could have both of their litter boxes and that they would have enough space. We have a cat tree in the front of it. They They're living their best cat <laughs> lives. Yeah. Well, and they love all the windows and they love that they get a, you know, like we can open the screen door and they can, there's so many bikes here that they're really excited about all the bikes riding by all the time. They're bike cats. Oh, oh this is heart. amazing. So do they, <laughs> I, this is a first, so I have so many questions. Do they like freak out going down the road or do they, I have, we have a cat that loves car rides. Oh, really? Like we take like a dog, we take it oh. on the car ride and it sits on the dashboard of our of our vehicle. So do they love what? that? Yeah. No. Do they or do they like are they pretty stressed they, when you're moving? They're getting better about yeah. it. Um, they they ride in the truck with us always. We, we never put them in the RV by themselves. And initially it would be just like constant crying. Yep, wailing, you know? wailing the whole time. Um now they're pretty good about it. We'll wait till we get on the interstate and we'll open their kennels so they can kind of get out and wander around. And most of the time, they'll just switch kennels with each other and then go to sleep. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know what that is, but. Have you seen those cat backpacks that have like the plastic yes. bubble? You need to get one of those and then you can take them out on your rides. I really want to do that. <laughs> I've actually also seen that they have like the trailers that you can put, most people put yes. their kids in them. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounds like awesome cross training just like right. like extra resistance training yeah you like headwind would be no thing for you if you just always riding around with your cat trailer yeah. <laughs> they're a little overweight too so that would be even harder work you know <laughs> who is it that they have an instagram for like sir willie the wiener dog it's someone i think no, on the green yes <laughs> yeah and he has the wiener dog in the backpack oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Yes. And Willie is so sweet. He just kind of like, he's just like, I'm happy because I'm with Alexi and everything's good. <laughs> well, then Heather Jackson just got a puppy and she has like a dog backpack that they ride around with the dog. That's like, that's the best. Is that, yeah. that if you could just ride, go drive around the country, bike, and yep. just like go with your cats and dogs on bike rides. That's like a great life. So I feel like we need a new category at Gravel Worlds next year oh. for racing with your pets on your back. 
Oh, if I only mean, my golden retriever was a little bit smaller, that would be so fun. I mean, not going to lie, that is the definition of gravel. It's <laughs> like a pet <laughs> category. Really well, a yeah. pet. I, I wonder if like PETA would get mad or some for some reason, like come after us for mm. a dog being in the heat for seven hours or something. We'll have to do some research, but this is a legit possibility. Maybe. We've come up with so many ideas because of this podcast. Oh, really? Of, yeah. like, of that. <laughs> like just, just bounce ideas <laughs> off all day. What was the other one? Free uh, free entry if you donate a bike. We talked about that one. Yep. Not oh, sure if it's gonna awesome. if not sure if that's gonna happen, but that was like a rad idea. The like, anonymous donor had that idea. Yeah. For I the, the for idea. the thousand women. That's so cool. Uh, yeah. So let's jump into the lifetime Grand Prix. Got to start Sounds off the good. top with that. You're currently sitting in seventeenth. That's right. How's that experience been for you? It's been good. I think there's been highs and lows. There's been, you know, some races where I've surprised myself um, and definitely performed better than I thought I would. Uh, Mountain biking has been a struggle from the first race of the year that I didn't actually race. Um, So, yeah, I think that overall it's been a really good experience. I've learned a lot. I'm excited about the boundaries that I've been able to push in terms of technical ability um and hoping that i can continue improving one thing that you i I was listening to the girl i think it was girls gone gravel podcast you were just on and you you mentioned uh like how somebody said how that technical skill like you're like i don't really like it it doesn't really relate to gravel but then they talked about like the turns of gravel it's like if you save 10 seconds every turn and having to push that power i thought that was super interesting do you want to like kind of expand on that a little bit yeah yeah so at the beginning of the year when I was trying to learn how to mountain bike I was miserable um I'm not very good at it and I had a lot of fear um which can be frustrating I think probably every rider has been through this where you're riding on a trail and there's just like rock after rock or technical feature that you can't ride and so you're getting off and walking um and you just feel like it's pointless and you're kind of frustrated. I mean, I spent a lot of time crying on the side of the trail (laughs) and um, I was talking to a mountain biker about it and I just said, I just feel like this is outside of my goals. Like my goals are not to win mountain bike races. My goals are to win gravel races. I'm spending this time on trails that's basically useless because I'm not training, I'm not riding things. And um, he said to me, well, have you thought about the fact that mountain biking translates to gravel? And I was like, sure, but, you know, is it worth it? And he said, well, yeah, think about if you have 100 turns in a race and you can be 10 seconds faster through every turn, how much time you gain in the race. And he was like, so then think about how many intervals you'd have to do to gain that time. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, that's, you know, how (laughs) do you put it that way? Yeah, I come from crit racing, and so I think I should have thought about it. Um, but yeah, often in crit racing, it's, it's all about who can finesse the race more than it is about who's strongest. And I think with gravel, that's very true, especially in a race, like we're here at Big Sugar. When you turn onto the gravel here, it's not tame gravel. It's pretty intense. You're, there's a descent almost right away. And I remember from last year, like we will be hooking it down that descent. So whoever's not breaking, whoever can take those corners and get through there safely, that is going to be a defining moment of the race. Interesting. So like literally first moment of gravel could yeah. be a huge break yeah. here. That's crazy. Um, what's, what's the gravel? You've, you've been down here a couple of days. What's the gravel conditions like down here? It is really washed out. Just because um, it's so dry? Super dry. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of exposed rock. It feels a lot gnarlier than last year. Okay. Um, I mean, last year it was intense. I remember, uh, well, so many people just had mechanicals, flats. Um, it kind of became a little bit of a race of attrition. And yeah, I was very surprised when I rode the course yesterday. It's, it's going to be a crazy race. <laughs> Driving down yesterday on the interstate, you know, there's gravel roads that are on either side, like kind of maintenance roads. Yeah. And it got to the point where there was so much dust from drivers driving on that gravel road next to the interstate that oh like could barely see yeah. the interstate. That's how dusty and dry it is down yeah. here. Yeah. 
So it'll be interesting. And it's, like for yeah. people that haven't ridden a lot of gravel, the more like the drier it gets, like the looser everything gets. Like the, yeah. the every the time it, every time it rains and then cars drive on it, it just packs everything. Yeah. So the longer it goes without rain, and like the Midwest is, and you know, I would say it's Arkansas Midwest or is it South? I don't know. I, we're kind of North Arkansas. Missouri's South. mid South, and we're basically know. Missouri. So I don't know. Wherever we're at, it's been a really dry summer. So um, yeah, it's just that that creates more washboards it just makes everything super like slick to move around so that your experience like on mountain bike could be a huge experience tomorrow on the outcome of the race so yeah um where where the points lay out where how if you what's the best case scenario for tomorrow if if you do really well it's so hard to calculate that with the lifetime series because the way that it works is who your worst race gets dropped. Oh. So for like for me, for riders that skipped a race, that doesn't really matter. You yeah. know, we just we just are where we are. But for other riders, um, and for those that are in front of me, there are women that haven't skipped races. So it's really hard to kind of figure out. I think that my goals in terms of finishing somewhere in the lifetime Grand Prix, they're not I'm not really aiming for a place. Gotcha. Um, I'm more looking at tomorrow as I want to have the best performance I can tomorrow. And I don't know that unless I pulled out something that's, um, statistically unlikely, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be moving into the top 10. So gotcha. That's cool. But I mean, even, but still like it, I've been surprised how close the points have been. Yeah. Um, well, across the, the board, I mean, the, the top is pretty close, but like yeah. since, I mean, the payouts go to 10th place, it's, it's pretty close. Like, yeah, there's. I've been really impressed with that um, overall. The top six women are closer in points than the top six men. Like, it's a hard yeah. women's race tomorrow. It is. And they're going to leave everything out there. Just Absolutely. We just talked to Stetna, and they're going to leave everything out there because this is most people's last race of the season. It is. Yeah, there's, so. n- there's nothing to hold back for no. tomorrow. So it, Exactly. I am... Thankful I'm not at the front of the race yeah. <laughs> tomorrow. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of pressure. And it's going to be, I mean, exactly like you said, there's no concern of, oh, I, you know, I mean, no one wants to crash because if they crash, they don't finish. But I think that there's definitely going to be more risk taking yes. because you're not sacrificing an entire season. Yeah. There's a little bit of the like yep. finish or give everything up trying to. <laughs> what has been your favorite race or I guess part of the lifetime? lifetime grand prix so far unbound is i would say by far my favorite grand prix race yeah i just i love that event um there's just something really special about it and it's also a race that i'm suited to do better in so um i like that about it too yeah so you you really like the long just slug it out as long as you put out just like outlast everybody else yeah yeah is that were you naturally like did you naturally like the long stuff uh, or did you train that way to get to get there i actually discovered that i enjoyed longer stuff and and was good at it um in 2019 i was racing crits full-time and my husband and i got this idea that we should ride from um, st louis to kansas city on the katy trail Um, And so the first day was like 164 miles, um, mostly gravel. It's, it's, you know, it's very tame gravel on the Katy Trail. It's a, Um, it's a rails to trail, right? Yeah. And it's like crushed limestone. Yep. Yeah. Um, We did it in a little bit under 10 hours. And as the day went on, I just started feeling better and better um, while my husband was fading back. And I kind (laughs) (laughs) kind of realized like, oh, I'm good at this longer stuff. Like, I, I don't know what it is about it, but I, I hit a point, I feel like it's about after six hours where I just kind of, I feel like I have this diesel engine that just turns on and I'm like, okay, I can just ride now. Um, What's your, so are you looking at doing like long stuff? Like the three, like long like voyage 300? I'm, I'm really thinking about it. I'm someone that really values eight hours of sleep. So <laughs> I, I feel you on that one. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I want to try it, though. I, I've been thinking about doing it at Gravel Worlds next year. Ooh, all right. That'd be rad. I like that That'd idea. That'd be really rad. Someone's got to give that, me a run for a month. I was about to say. If you do that, we are going to, that, if you do it, 
It's going to be the women's race is going to be a ringer because Paige Redmond's obviously going to come back. If she wins, she'll tie Allison Tetrick for the most wins at Gravel Worlds. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So uh, and then uh, Christy Tracy is healed up. So she's going to be back. She's like a 24 hour time trial champion. Uh, And then uh, Claire Reiner, Reiner, who got second. She's coming back and she's like, I'm I'm going for the win next year. So like if you're in there, like that would be rad. If that yeah. would be cool. Well, and like I mean that statistically, women are way better at longer right. stuff traditionally than than men are. So that'd be that'd be awesome if we had like a sprint out for the oh women's. Po- it happened for the men's podium this year. Yeah, for wow. second and third. Second and third came down to a sprint after 306 miles. So you know I've won that. I'm not gonna say I've won that sprint from a small group. I've won that sprint twice now. <laughs> so I'd be all right with that. Actually, you you got you wasn't your podium at Gravel Worlds because as a sprint, yeah. it was like a five woman wow. sprint, and yeah. you saved fifth place because of that. Like you, it, it was like, oh, like and it, was, it was. I thought Leah had it. I I was like I was there and like I've been giving high fives to everybody and you know that I see it was it four of you, or was it three or four? Uh, it was there, three of us at that point. Three yeah. and I like see you cover out of the corner. I'm like, get out of the way, get out of the way. <laughs> like they get so it was. Yeah, you that would be super rad. You should yeah. do the 300. I'm mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you should. I'll think. I, I'll talk to my coach about it. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I'm definitely. It's it's something that I'm really curious about. Yeah, All right. I'll say that. Have you done an ultra endurance race like that before? No. That's a new one. We've talked to a lot of people who have done it, and they just say it's so beautiful to go through that hard night and then to wake up with the sunrise. And they say it's like nothing else yeah. out there yeah they say that they always say that everybody that does those it's always the sunrise that like you ride all through the night and there's something about that sunrise moment that just yep. doesn't matter how bad you're feeling you're just like oh it's a new day i'm good and then you get tired again yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but then by that point you're almost done so then you and can go sleep for eight hours 300 miles sounds a lot better than 350 miles so mm-hmm. i'm like Okay. It's that okay. it's that extra fifty. Yeah. That extra, extra 50. that that extra fifty is a lot of extra fifty. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, so before uh, you had mentioned you've done an Everest. Yeah. Uh, what is that for people that don't know? And you did it at elevation, which is really impressive. Where'd you, you do it? And yeah, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, for anyone that doesn't know, Everesting is this really silly idea that got popular in 2020 where you pick a climb and you ride up and down it until your total elevation gain is equal to the height of Mount Everest. I think it's, it's 30, something like 32,000 30, feet something, or something 30, like that. 30,000 ish. Oh, I can't ouch. remember the number in one ride and it has to be the same hill. That's the, yeah. that's the, the like definite. So it's not like just go ride until you get 30,000. It's like you go up and down the same hill however many times yes. to get it. So yeah. where'd you do it? Um, so I did it on Linden Road in Boulder. Um, well, that's no joke. Yeah, I've that's very that steep. Yeah. <laughs> what is that, like 15%? It averages, I think, 13% um, on the segment that I chose. But yeah, there's a lot of sections where it hits 20 22%. And I, so with Everesting, there's a little bit of a, like you have to find a good segment because it needs to be, steep and short so that you're not hitting it's it's really easy to get like 180 miles which you don't want to do yeah yeah um so yeah i kind of built out a spreadsheet of all these strava segments in the boulder area and figured out which would be the best in terms of distance um i didn't want it to be cr- like there's this road lick skillet i don't know if you guys have heard, I of, heard that. of that one Ryan Petrie everest did on lick skillet it's the steepest county road in the u.s it's Gross. one mile it's horrible and he, ride it once and you'll be like that's insane like Someone, what's what's that like eight eighteen percent i think it just is 20 percent for a mile gross it's and it's gravel so it, i mean he ever stood on a gravel yeah Oof. let's go on that's a awful. mountain bike it's i mean <laughs> everything's awful okay. yeah ryan petrie he's crazy um <laughs> yeah so that's oh gosh. that's not something i wanted to do but I kind of like built this spreadsheet, figured out this optimal um, segment that I could do it on and just went and did it. Yeah. How Incredible. did you keep track of how many times it took you to climb that hill? I knew from my spreadsheet that it would be 26 times. Oh. Um, and so I don't know. I, I don't. It wasn't hard to keep track. And how long did it take you? 
a little bit under 12 and a half hours. It's a long day. <laughs> it was a long day. That's a lot yeah. of pain too. That, like and a lot of repetition of like knowing, okay, it's going to hurt again and it's going to hurt again. It's going to hurt again. That's yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, you, you got that one on the, like, I did it. Are you going to do it again? Are you going to try to oh, beat your record? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hard no. That was like a, I feel like that was a 2020 thing where we had no other competitive outlet. So people just started <laughs> looking for <laughs> that, that, that was fun to watch in 2020. Cause it was, was it Phil game Gaiman that yeah. did it first? And then like it, it, it exploded and then like, he like the original record he took like an hour off the first time and then all of a sudden yeah. like that dropped like two or three hours on the yes. record I, I mean, isn't the record like under eight hours or no it's less than that isn't it there yeah it's something crazy now it's like seven i think oh it's insane like yeah. crazy record uh for so. the men yeah and then the women's is down to like nine i'm pretty sure wow well lauren DeCrescenzo did it in georgia shortly after i did in, in right about nine hours and then someone in europe took her record wow well, let's take it all the way back. So you grew up in Iowa. That's right. Um, me, me too. I did too. <laughs> oh, really? Where at? <laughs> yeah, I was on the west side of the state, okay. near near Council Bluffs area. Awesome. Go Huskers. Yeah. Yeah. Had to, had to throw that one in <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, we're Huskers fans. <laughs> <laughs> so you were a runner at Drake, and then due to injury, you switched to cycling. Yes. Uh, what do you miss most about running? The simplicity of it. All you need is a pair of running shoes, and you can run anywhere. Like traveling as a runner is so much easier than traveling as a cyclist. I mean, when you think about the amount of things in our life that we have to accommodate the fact that we don't want to go places without bikes, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. What has been the best part about switching to cycling? It's, I think from a longevity standpoint, it's a much better sport. Um, Just better on your body. Yeah, not yeah. as hard on your knees. Also, I think the community around cycling is far better that uh, I don't want to cause any issues here but <laughs> I think it's far better than the community around running it's a little bit more of a fringe sport so I think that that leads you into having a community it's been uh we added the run to our event last year and that was like one thing that we've learned is like runners are like this is awesome like the yeah, community yeah. here is awesome so we're we're trying to do that with gravel of like gravel running of like no no, no 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 like gravel cycling we're gonna do that for gravel running yeah. like yeah it, like it's we're all just we're one. all in this together we're gonna cheer you first to last place and that was like there were so many people that finished the ultra and it's like people are hanging out and That's like awesome. everybody's cheering people on and like this never happens at like a road marathon like you get your medal and then you get your banana and you go back mm. to your car so it, that it's been fun to like be the next thing and i know like bobby at mid-south has been like set the groundwork for that and we're just trying to keep moving like ultra bring those ultra runners into gravel but like we're adding a 10k next year so we're gonna get local people and we're gonna yeah we're awesome gonna, gravel running's the next thing like i think gravel running right now is where gravel cycling was like 10 years ago like there's people that love it people that do it but like it's gonna blow up i i feel it i feel it in my bones just like runners feel it in their knees <laughs> uh, what was your run of choice like were you long distance were you a sprinter um so i have to be clear that i was not running like on a team at drake um i was going uh, to drake and running because i had been in um i had been in dance and show choir in high school um, hey, I'm which, a band nerd too. Yeah, cool. I, I was a huge band nerd, band and choir. And Let's go. Uh, that's not <laughs> that's not something that most people take to college with them, unless you're really good, which I wasn't. And um, needed something competitive, so I started running. Just like I would say, amateur running. Um, and I like to do 10Ks. Um, and I was training for a half marathon when I injured myself. Well, hey, if you don't want to do the 300-mile long voyage, you could always do the Gravel World's double. Uh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I've, my doctor looked at me after. I have really bad hips, both hips, and he was like, you just can't run anymore. So, I, I had that with my knee. I really, I really wanted to be do an Ironman, and my doctor was like, if you can bike and climb and swim and walk, just do that. Don't yeah. run. So they're like, just count your losses. That's Eventually awesome. you're not going to be able to run anyway when yeah. you get older. So yeah. like, just enjoy the bike. So yep. I feel it. So like, so you weren't an elite runner then? No, no. So, so then where, how quickly when you switched to bike, did you like, like, oh, I'm really good at this? Pretty quickly. 
I um, rehabbed my injury, was pretty depressed because my doctor had told me at 22 that I was not going to run again and um, got a bike from my dad. And a woman that I worked with was a triathlete who was kind of transitioning to bike racing. So she took me to a crit and we jumped in the 3-4 race and I got third. And I was like, wow, I was never on the podium in any running events. This is really cool. Um, and that just hooked me from the start. That's awesome. Man, just so first race, like, I did good. Hook, yeah. Hooked. I love yeah. it. Love it. Um, speaking of races, you're involved with the Foco Fondo. Uh, you yes. won. You got first place this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, that's a really, really cool race. I, it's yeah. on my bucket list to do. I have, I have friends in Fort Collins. Um, so they've been asking me every year. It's like always, it's like in July, right? Yeah. It's, um, so it's always like the a, end of July. Yeah. It's yeah. like always a, like the month before gravel worlds. And it's like, that's oh, yeah. like, like buckling down, getting ready to go. So yeah. But explain the Foco Fondo. You're kind of involved with them. Like talk about the Foco. Yeah. Um, so the Foco Fondo is in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, it's put on by Whitney and Zach Allison and it's just a really cool event. Um, it's, pretty much entirely gravel roads. Um, Fort Collins has the just beautiful gravel. Um, this year they had four distances. Um, I don't remember what the shorter ones were, but there was a hundred mile and 144 mile. So I did the 144 mile. Um, and they, like Whitney and Zach, just do a really good job at organizing the event. Um, it has this huge focus on inclusivity. It's pretty similar to Gravel Worlds. And it's a fun environment, you know, it, it's held at the Fat Tire Brewery and it's kind of that same, you know, everyone goes out, we do the race, everyone hangs out and has a beer or a non-alcoholic beer in my case and uh, has some food together. It's, it's a cool environment. It's also, it's such a great like lead in to gravel. So like if you're in Colorado or like Western Nebraska, it's such a good like litmus test for gravel worlds because I, I don't think because it's on the front range right it's right. not in the mountains so it's that you have hills but it's not like a typical gravel race where you're going to have like a four mile climb like it's it's more tame and more I think I feel like it's uh like more for the everyday person that is more intimidated with climbs and stuff they actually have added a little bit more of a climb oh, they into did. it, but it's still not, I would say it's not like a Colorado, you're going to be climbing for two hours. Yeah. It's, uh, on the short course, I mean, it's maybe a 20 minute climb Yeah. on the hundred mile course. Nice. So, yeah. but it's still like, it's, it's a, it's less intimidating than like a mountain race. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. For yeah. Sure. So check out Foco Fondo. Uh, they're on, uh, Foco Fondo on Instagram. Do you know their website? Is it focofondo.com? I think, I, I think it's focofondo. Uh, sure. <laughs> F-O-C-O yes. Fondo. So uh, FOCO for Fort Collins. So. That's right. And then um, are you going to be doing that? Is that on your A-list of races for next year? I think I will most likely be doing that again next year, yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, are you going to do the Grand Prix again? Well, I'm going to apply for it. Okay. Um, so I think that, you know, I spoke with um, Lifetime a couple weeks ago, and I know that they're looking to do it again and, you know, hopefully building off of what they've started this year. Um, so I told them that I'll definitely be interested. And I feel like this year has been such a learning experience for me in uh, figuring out how to ride a mountain bike. And I think that next year I might have more of a chance working on skills this off season to maybe be a little bit more competitive. So I would love to have another shot at it. There has seemed to be like a distinct advantage with like the mountain bikers on very much so. So like, are, is that, that's your off, off season practicing this year is, yes. the, is the mountain bike? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going to be hitting um, the single track. <laughs> yeah. I, well, for so many reasons, I mean, BWRs, for example, like yeah. Rebecca Faringer just won, um, at BWR Kansas and you know, she's an extremely strong rider, but I think that her edge was her single track skills. So it's That's valuable. Awesome. Um, a little transition kind of, um, you're, you're very publicly, you very publicly defend like the 99% of gravel races, uh, online and, and personally, like when, when topics of the elite riders come up, you're very vocal on defending like, well, what about everybody else? Like, where does yeah. that come from? Like as an elite rider, like, why do you care so much about the 95% who are never going to be on a podium? 
<laughs> well, for a lot of reasons. Um, I mean, first of all, I think it honestly, it stems for me from like, I was not a popular kid growing up. I was, you know, I was the band nerd, I was the choir nerd. Um, I was about six feet tall at eight years old, so I was always lanky and weird and um, always, you know, wanted to be a part of that like elite cool group, but I never was. Um, and that, I think, kind of led me into identifying where I just felt like a lot of structures in society are not fair in that they give advantages to people that um, aren't just your average person and there's a lot of unfair treatment. Um, and that translates into cycling so much on the road scene in particular. Um, and I think it's been detrimental to that scene because so much of the focus is on are you racing? And if you're racing, what category are you? And if you're a category two, should you actually be a category two? Are you actually good enough? And um, there's just this whole mentality of elite, 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 um, which for riders that are maybe wanting to be new to the sport, it makes it much harder for them to feel welcomed into that community. Like if you go show up on a group ride and you don't have a fancy kit, and a brand new bike. It doesn't matter if you're a good rider and a good person, most of the time on a road ride, they're gonna drop you and not care. Um, and I just think that that's such, like, I love that gravel doesn't have that mindset. And for me, when I started doing gravel races, I was like, this is so cool that this community has built in space for every kind of rider. It is not about just the riders on the pointy end of the race that have their spandex kits. It's about every single rider. And in fact, the riders that aren't at the pointy end of the race are really the core of this sport. And they're what drives the sport more than the pros. So I think as pros, we need to defend that. Um, unless we want this to turn into another example of road racing, we need to keep the sport focused on all of the riders that come to these races to enjoy and experience the event and don't necessarily care what place they finish. Thank I mean, that means a lot as a promoter and Definitely. like as, as Corey, our founder, like it, it, who's in the hall of fame and like those first people, those first promoters that were putting on events that like they worked really hard to be different. Yes. It's, it's awesome to have the elite level recognize that. And like, no, this is why gravels, like the biggest the grow the biggest growing genre of cycling in the world like Absolutely. there's a reason for it um it's all about the community yeah and Absolutely. it's it's hard as a promoter sometimes to like be like well do we like start focusing more on the pros and and media coverage and all that? it's it it is tough because like you got you got a space for that though yeah like there it's is a space for that that like the Lifetime Grand Prix, they've already created that space for the pros to come in and have that experience. Mm -hmm. And so it's important for the rest of the races and the rest of the events to keep that 99% still protected and special and sacred. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, that and then, like, what I have been concerned about this year is seeing, you know, obviously the Lifetime Grand Prix has leveled up the... Um, the, race, the racers that are showing up to these events. When you look at the list of the women that are competing in the Lifetime Grand Prix, it's Olympians, it's World Cup mountain bike racers, um, it's Ironman champions, I mean, world champions on the road. It's an impressive list of riders. And a lot of them not having raced gravel events before came in um, with Unbound being their first race and were immediately very critical of the structure that gravel has kind of I, I know that gravel has no rules, but there are some norms around gravel racing. Um, and a lot of those norms make the sport more inviting to that person that's not focused on being at the pointy end of the race. And I think that that's one of my big concerns as the sport does start to focus more on the pro racers is still recognizing that even though there's 30 women in this race that um, have this incredible athletic resume, they're still a very, very small percentage of the overall riders. And something that caters to their interest might not cater to everyone else that's at that event. 
Love it. I lo- and I want to like personally thank you for being that defender and recognizing that. Um, it, it's encouraging as a promoter. It's like, okay, yeah, we are, we are doing it right. And there, there are some pros that recognize that. And, you know, sometimes like, I think you might've said it at, uh, on another podcast I was listening to you on, but it's like, if, if that's not for you, then that's okay. Like there's options for you. If you want structure and you want, you know, uh, protected courses and, uh, you know, X, Y, men and women different, not riding together, you have an option and maybe gravel's not for you and that's okay. Um, but you're regardless, you're still welcome like at and gravel, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, and like, I think, you know, okay, let me say some of the criticism I think are totally fair. Like having course marshals at dangerous intersections, I think that's 100% that favors everyone. Yeah. Right. That's a good criticism that comes out of it. Um, some of the others to your point, like if you want a women's race, that's truly not going to be impacted by men on the course, then you probably need to go do either road or mountain bike or cross something where the races are shorter and the promoters have more control over who's going to be working together. When you have a 150 mile race, unless you have the races on separate days, you're never going to have a race that's not impacted by the other riders on the course. And that was, and then if you do different days, then it's different experiences. Ultimately, like we talked uh, to an Ironman athlete a couple days ago and the Ironman World Championships, they had the women on one day and the men on another day this year. And she said, ultimately, like the experience was different because yes. there weren't as many people out on the women's day because they did it on like a Thursday or and something. And the men were like resting up in their hotel rooms, yeah. getting ready for their race. And yeah. so they weren't out there cheering as much. And it changes the entire dynamic. It yeah. does. Yeah. It's really hard to have separate events that are truly equal. And I, under, I think that all of this comes from a really good place of women wanting to have their own space in the sport. But I also think that it's so hard for a 200-mile, 150-mile event um, to truly say, yeah, these are separate races and they're not going to interfere with each other. Instead, I think it makes a lot more sense to say, like with what Gravel Worlds did this year, you know, here's, a, here's an approach, we're going to try it. Um, we're going to let the women start first and have a rolling neutral barrier so that the women have a chance to position within their own field, determine who's there racing. Um, but then the men will come past you at this point and then it's combined racing. And as a woman, I think that I thought about that and I was like, all right, I need to be at the front of the women's race when the men's field comes by and I need to be ready to just gun it for probably 15 minutes because that's for the men too it's a factor in their race if they've got women that are taking up you know half of the road and a a neutral barrier that's rolling off that's an opportunity for them to kind of you know attack and like create a little bit of chaos in their race so i think that this is gravel racing and these are the factors that as a rider you just need to think about you know who's in the race who's going to be working together it's not limited to just the women that you're. How did about. how did you feel it went with the gravel worlds? Because like I, we we're gonna do a roundtable probably December or January with awesome. uh, like the top probably twenty five. How many were at the start? Probably twenty at the front, twenty five maybe. Yeah, somewhere around there. Somewhere so we were we were probably we're probably just gonna invite like the top twenty five women finishers who were if they were in that invite them to like a roundtable call because we want to hear like we want to be a part of the change we don't want to just be like well this is the way it is deal with it Um, because the sport is young it is a young sport it's unique so we want to (laughs) embrace the parts that are different of our sport but also like we can always be better like we can always do a better race so like how did you feel it went like how you were out there you were at the front of the race and it's okay if you didn't like it you can tell us (laughs) (laughs) it helps us either way well to be honest, I don't know that I'm the right person to be to be responding to it because I'm not someone that feels like I need a separate start from the men. Um, I was fine with it though. Like if if the other women preferred that format, I'm totally fine with it because it's still to me, and I think that a lot of women feel this way. We don't want to ride 150 miles with only 20 people that we're racing against because yeah. that means we're going to be alone for a lot of the race. Yep. Yeah. Um, More than you already like it already happens. Like yeah, there's already yes. 
I know that the, the front of the pack is getting bigger and bigger, but there's still like almost every rider, unless you're in the front, very front pack, you like you're going to get split up and ride alone for miles and miles at Absolutely. every single race. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you know, if, if other women like that and that they feel like they, um, can size up everyone a little bit, understand who's there, have a chance to position within the women's field. Like I'm totally fine with it. I support it. Um, I think that where I could see a criticism coming out is that a lot of the women did not like that when the men came by, that was basically the race. It was who can hang on to the men that are, you know, that men were going full gas at that point. And so that was kind of the deciding moment. I still thought it was fine. Like I ended up in our group for the day, we probably had 10 women um, that kind of dropped off as the race went on. But so I still felt like it was very much, you know, it was a mixed group, but I still very much felt like there was a women's race happening. Yeah. I, and the, one of the big things that was important to us that um, this all went back to a call that was over a year ago now that, or maybe it was about a year ago that we just had a conversation with a bunch of pro women and they're like, here are the things that we don't like. Here are the things that we think could do better. And one of the things that was like stuck out like a sore thumb to us was seeing your competitors. And like, like that was, that was like the biggest thing. Like we can fix that. Um, because like, um, a lot of times, like if your hair is tucked up or, you know, depending on like what kit you're wearing, if it's cold out and you have jackets on, you can't tell like who, who's a guy, who's a girl at the start of a race. And like, that was what we could fix. It's like, all right, your competitors are right here. You can see them all in the face before the race starts. And then, you know, like, um, I forget who it was that said it, but they're like, there, there was a race that I thought I was in the lead the whole time. And I never even knew my competitor was ahead of me, you know? So that that was one thing that we're like, all right, this is the biggest thing we're going to fix right now. Um, but you know, there's still other things that we can still do better. And actually I think that that could be greatly improved by having a women's moto that's giving time and place updates. Um, Like riding along with, I would say for the top 10 women, if that moto, you know, sees, okay, Lauren is first on the road. She's with this group. This is how big the group is. Um, and maybe, you know, Whitney and Heather are in the next group back for that moto to say, Lauren's with a group of 10, um, they're a minute and a half up the road from you. And then to kind of drop back through. And I, and I think it maybe took the top 10, maybe it's just the top five women. That would be such a huge advantage. Great idea. Yeah. You could even have that, that, like you could have like two or three people that just sit on the side of the road. And then they move, you know, as, as they go. Cause Accordingly, yeah. Yeah, just move. That's a great idea. And that's um, easily doable, too. That, that, and that was, that was the other thing in that conversation. It's like some of these, in theory, could be done or fixed. But, like, the human power to do it is just un, completely unrealistic yes. unless we're charging $1,000 a person. Which, again, that affects the 95%, not exactly. the front. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's another thing I've thought about is, like, should there be a pro registration where if if as pros we want a moto that's giving us time gaps maybe there's a pro registration fee that we pay Ooh. you know I, I don't know maybe yeah. maybe that's going to be really unpopular i would be happy to pay it interesting you know because there's been one gravel race i did um it was bwr kansas last year where joy mccullough through pure gravel was reporting on the women's race yep and she gave so much information. I mean, she's a racer herself, but she went to each woman in the field and said, okay, you three have a gap of two minutes and you've got five chasers um, behind you. And then, you know, went to them and told them the same information. So it's not like it's That's giving anyone really... a, a specific advantage. But um, the other thing I love about that is that a lot of times, like with Gravel Worlds, I came across the line and I was like, what place was I? Like, yeah. <laughs> was I fifth? Yeah. Um, then you, you know, you yeah. know what you're racing for. Yeah. That, that's a great idea. I genuinely like I really that idea like that. and it's yeah. easily implementable. That's the other thing too, is like, can, can it be done? And yeah. that's easy. That can easily be done. So that's a great idea. Uh, and that, that can uh, help men too. The men's race. Yeah. Like if you yeah. have them set there, like have you move, you sit there for 20 minutes and then you go to the, wherever your next spot is. So yeah. 
Great idea. Well, on this topic of women in cycling, you are a big supporter of women getting into the sport. Uh, what do you wish you could tell 13-year-old Hannah? Uh, buy a mountain bike. <laughs> go, <laughs> go ride mountain bike trails, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're in Bentonville right now, and it is amazing to see the number of kids on bikes here. Yes. I feel like mountain biking is going to explode in 10 years. Um, it also can, helps with those basic skills. Yes. I'm a NICA coach, and seeing these kids have skills that I'm now learning. I'm learning from yes. them because they are getting it at a young age, and mountain biking has a lot of skills that go with it that maybe gravel and road don't have. Right. So if you have that background in mountain biking, you can be more successful in whatever genre of cycling you're going to be in. 100%. I mean, it looks like to me, you know, I'm not a 13 year old anymore, but looking at it, I'm like, if I lived here, I would want a bike. Yes. La last night. So they have kids group rides every night here in Bentonville. Yeah. I've been and we were, them. we were out here last night and there was like, they had a, a girls and I think they said they have a girls ride every night too. And there was like 15 girls on Epic mountain bikes getting yes. ready to go for like, that is so cool. That's the future of this sport. And like, hundred percent. So rad. I, we were just so talking cool. on the way here. We're like. There is going to be a world champion come out of Bentonville. For sure there will be. Because of like all the, the effort that the city's putting in. Just so. the opportunities that they have here, it puts them on another level of, say, yes. someone from Lincoln, Nebraska, or anywhere else oh, in the country. For real. I mean, it's funny. Like, we live in Longmont. We live just outside Boulder. Um, but we lived in Boulder for a long time. And I think a lot of people consider that to be the cycling mecca of, of the United States. But... I think that's changed because we you don't see kids group rides like you do no, here in Boulder. No, no. no. There's great programs for youth in Boulder. I don't want to discount any of that, but the city is not investing into mountain biking infrastructure the way Bentonville is. Oh, no. It's also hard because Boulder has a lot of road cyclists, correct? It does. And so that's hard to put a group of 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, even 15-year-olds out on a road, Absolutely. and a lot of parents will not want their kids out there on an open road where cars are going 60, 70 miles an hour. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that you mentioned at the beginning kind of was just the amount of equipment that you have to have right. like, to get in. So like the, this sport naturally has a huge barrier to entry financially. Yes. And so, you know, I know they have programs here in Bentonville and some cities have programs to help kids get on bikes. Gravel Worlds, we just committed. Um, we're going to be donating $2 per rider next year to a scholarship awesome. fund to like help low income kids who would never be able to get on a bike right in Lincoln. And it's like, those are the things we need to be doing as race promoters, as uh, like people in the industry is like that the, as we're sitting here in the Strider <laughs> store, yeah. there's yeah. two little kids like riding back and forth. That's the future of this sport right here. I yeah. know. So if you are a promoter, please invest in the next generation. Like we raised $15,000 this year for NICA and Nebraska, the girls, uh, girls riding together program. Yeah, like that's in amazing. invest, invest in the future of this sport because. And create opportunities for other people to help invest. It yep. doesn't just fall on the yep. promoters shoulders. It yep. falls on the shoulders of everyone who comes to the race, like create opportunities for them to give back as well. Absolutely. What do you hope 40, 50, 60 year old Hannah remembers most about the time of being an elite racer? Wow, that is not a question I have thought of before. <laughs> I think something that I am really focusing on right now is trying to enjoy the daily routine of racing at this level. If you're not I think that um, a good friend recently gave me this analogy that a lot of people think of life as a journey where you're aiming to get towards the destination. And so many of us do that in cycling. Mm -hmm. Training is a means to an end to get to the race. But life, just like cycling, is not about the destination. It's about what you're doing while you're getting there and um, should be thought of more like music, more like you're enjoying the act of, of what you're doing. Oh, and I like that. I've yeah. never had someone say that. That's uh, I'll beautiful. Send you, there's a really good YouTube video. I'll send it to you. Um, and so I've been trying to focus a little bit more on the music as an elite racer. Like, it's cool that we can go out and, you know, ride our bike for three hours really, really hard. And I'm trying to enjoy feeling strong and enjoy 
you know, what it feels like to be able to do that on the bike. Um, and I'm focusing on that more than I am the end result. I really like that answer. That was beautiful. Thank you. That was a beautiful answer. Um, so before we go, uh, I personally wanted to say thank you for everything you're doing for the sport. I think you're a great ambassador. Uh, one thing we always say is being a champion on and off the bike. And I feel like you embody that. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, for being an awesome ambassador to the sport of gravel. Well, and thank you guys, because I absolutely love what Gravel Worlds is doing. And I feel like there are some events where I'm concerned about what the future is going to look like, but I'm not worried with Gravel Worlds at all. Well, that means a lot. I know that you guys have the right direction and are going to continue to be leaders in this sport and ensure that it's preserved. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we can uh, go back and forth and back yeah, and forth. Before we, before we go, Sophia always has one last question. Yes. So what does the Gravel family mean to you? <laughs> um, so to me... Uh, coming from a road background, it's road is very team oriented and, um, you know, within your team, you have a really supportive community, but you don't often have that outside your team. Um, and when you go to a road racing event, I don't feel, I don't personally feel like there's as much of a community around it. Whereas here, like I was just at the coffee shop before I came here and I saw, I don't know, 10 people that I knew, not because I race against them, but just, you know, know them from being in and around the sport. Um, and even within the race, I feel like the women here, kind of because no one is on a team, everyone is supporting each other no matter who you are. Um, and as much as we're competing against each other, we're also cheering for each other to do well. Um, like, I know that if I were to pull out a top five finish here, there's no one that would be happier for me than the other women that I've been racing against. That's awesome. Um, and I just, I love that about this sport. I really appreciate that because it's like when you win, you win together. Exactly. That's what it's all about. Exactly. Yep. A rising tide raises all ships. We say that a lot sure does. over and over. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Hannah. We appreciate you. We love you. Um, and we can't wait to have you back in Lincoln and see you at every other race next year. <laughs> but good luck yes. tomorrow at the Grand Prix. We're Thank rooting you. for you. Thank yes. you, guys. All right. We'll see you on the next episode of the Gravel Family Podcast. I'm Sophia. I'm Jason. I'm Hannah. And this has been another episode of the Gravel Family Podcast. We will see you next time. Gravel Family Podcast is a Pirate Cycling League production. Gravel Worlds and Pirate Cycling League are owned and operated by Gravel Adventures LLC, Lincoln, Nebraska. For more information on Gravel Family Podcast, visit www.gravelfamily.bike. For information on Gravel Worlds or Pirate Cycling League, go to www.gravel-worlds.com.